please note that the following episode contains mention of violence, sexual assaults, and trauma. I tried to reduce the amount of detail provided here, but nonetheless, listener discretion is advised. What comes to mind when you think of the effects of armed conflicts? I don't know what the answer to that question is for you, but for me I think of the casualties, both military and civilian. The reality though is that most civilian deaths don't come as a direct result of these conflicts, but rather emerge from the damage incurred to infrastructure, the weakening of health systems, and malnutrition. In fact, in a 2020 study published in the BMC Journal, it was estimated that almost 30 million civilian deaths were indirectly attributable to armed conflicts globally between 1990 and 2017. And two-thirds of those deaths were due to communicable, maternal, neonatal, and nutritional diseases. In this episode, we turn the focus to an East African country that has recently been embroiled in one of these armed conflicts. We go to Ethiopia. In November 2020, the Ethiopian government led by Prime Minister Ahmed Abe laid siege to the northern region of Tigray inciting an over 16-month-long period of violence marked by human rights violations, the ethnic cleansing of Tigrayans, and the destruction of key infrastructure by the Ethiopian and Eritrean forces. Although a humanitarian truce was called in March 2022, the damage has already been done. There are over 2.4 million internally displaced Tigrayan people, and millions are unable to access their basic healthcare needs. In this episode, I speak to Hailai Gesesu. My name is Hailai Abraha Gesesu. Um, I am a postdoctoral fellow at one of the universities in Australia. My background is as a public health officer. I used to work as a clinician in one of the remote uh, health centers in Ethiopia. And then um, I got my master's in epidemiology and uh, also did my PhD in public health. I am infectious disease epidemiologist by training and currently I'm working um, as, as a researcher. And I'm from Ethiopia's Tigray as well. Highlight has written extensively in multiple publications about the effects of the armed conflict on the health of Tigrayans, calling for more global attention to be paid to the nightmare happening there. In his articles, he has described the damage done to health infrastructure, the effects of the war on the healthcare workforce, and how key health indicators in Tigray today significantly lag behind their pre-war numbers. I decided to talk about this topic because for one thing, Armed conflicts of varying degrees are common across Africa. 
I think on the one hand, there needs to be a greater overall effort to protect the health of civilians during these conflicts. And on the other hand, rebuilding affected areas would require a special focus on strengthening health systems. And I believe the best starting point when charting a new course forward is to understand the current state of things. For many of you listening, this episode will be shocking, heart-wrenching even, but I assure you that you will leave with a more exact understanding of how armed conflicts affect the health of populations. Welcome to Where the Health Are We, the podcast about Africa, healthcare, and everything in between. As always, I am your host, Chinamaram Ihejirika. Good evening, Hailai. Thank you for coming on to speak with me today. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Thank you. So I know that sometime, you know, when the war started in 2020, uh, I think it was it was a pro- more prominent part of like the new cycle. But I think as it kept progressing, you know, like new cycles go, it kind of faded out. Um, and it's possible that some people listening uh, do not know, currently know what's happening in, in Ethiopia. Uh, so to get us started, I'd just like for you to paint a picture of what's happening um, and let us know why that's happening currently. Uh, thank you again. Well, Ethiopia is a big country. It's 100 plus million people, you know, including the 7 million plus Tigray. Um, it it has ten regional states, you know, including um, again Tigray, a region that is bordered by uh, Amharas and the Afar uh, regions, and two other countries, um, Eritrea and in Sudan. And, and the political history is is too complex, so obviously uh, to know why that war happens and to describe in the short period of time is a bit complex, but. If I describe, you know, the chronology of the war since the coming of the prime minister, probably that may paint a picture um, why that war um, happened and um, what exactly is happening now. You know, in um, April 2018, uh, Awi Ahmed was elected as a prime minister of Ethiopia. And then immediately he... You know, he tried, um, he paid a tribute to uh, almost all the regions. And it was interesting. He got the greatest support um, in in Tigray because that time he, you know, tried to pretend as um, a transformative as well as also very um, inclusive uh, leader. So Tigray gave the maximum support. But then after um, a couple of months, you know, things try to get changed. The prime minister immediately tried to blame, you know, some of the Tigrayan leaders and and elites. He even, you know, labeled as like, you know, cancer, weeds, and and then the like. Um, and uh, he said Ethiopia was in a dark in the last 27 years because of those Tigrayan uh, leaders and elites. And you know, worse 
main Ethiopian media has tried to preach uh, hatred against Tigrayans and even, you know, um, he tried to also do kind of mass arrest for a prominent uh, political leaders and investors of Tigrayan um, origin. So by the day, like, the atmosphere in, in, in Ethiopia was changed, but not only that, even the political atmosphere, Ethiopia's federal arrangement is changed to kind of unitary um, uh, way of uh, uh, unitary way of system, which make you know Abiy to grab the great majority of power. Then surprisingly, on um, October 2019, the prime minister was awarded a, a Nobel Peace Prize uh, for ending you know the the, the stalemate between Ethiopia and Eritrea. But that time, you know, every Tigrayans knew that they were, you know, kind of planting a seed to, to the war because when they do the discussion with the two um, head states, Ethiopia's Abiy and Eritrea's Afurki, the conversation, they completely ignored the Tigray officials, despite that Tigray shared, you know, the great majority of the border with um, Eritrea, and 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 the reason was because Afurki was trying to uh, uh, search a supporter because he wants to, pay, um, you know, to to pay a revenge. Uh, for for the Tigrayan politicians because you remember there was a war between Ethiopia and Eritrea in the 1998 to 2000 and Eritrea's Afurki thought that um, the Tigrayan uh, political leaders were the main actors of that defeat so he was he was looking a kind of revenge right and then um, like in June 2020. The Prime Minister extended Ethiopia's 2020 general election, but Tigray decided to proceed the election. Then that time, the Prime Minister gave a strong warning to Tigray. He said, like mothers will cry, children and youths will die, and houses will be demolished should Tigray proceed with the election. So that gave a warning to, to Tigray if Tigray did an election, right? And then in July 2020, there were um, credible evidences that Ethiopia's Abiy and Eritrean Afwerki uh, were planning to attack Tigray region. And then by September 2020, Tigray conducted the election. Then the TPLF, which is the Tigrayan People Liberation Front, or uh, Tigray's uh, leading government, won. But immediately, then Abiy delegitimized uh, the, the the election held in Tigray and delegitimized TPLF government. Then, a month after October 2020, the Prime Minister cut budget to Tigray. He shut off the internet and electric power, as well as also he ordered you know to close all the um, the federal and regional forces to 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 Tigray, and Eritrea did the same. So that time completely Tigray was almost encircled um, 360 degrees. By the way, um, some of uh, you know the, uh, the listeners may remember, he, the prime minister, tried to attempt um, an assassination for the TPL lead, TPLF leaders, but uh, uh, Tigray special forces um, sent them back. 
Then on the 2nd of November 2020, which was like two days before the official start of the war, Tigray President Dr. Dabratian Gavram Kael stated to journalists that uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea uh, were planning to attack Tigray. And then on the 3rd of November 2020, Tigray government confirmed that Tigray was encircled by all forces, you know, like Ethiopian and Eritrean and all regional forces. And immediately, Tigray government decided to occupy the national military base uh, called, the, you know, the, the Northern Division, which is based um, at, at Metella. And then on the 4th of November 2020, a full-fledged war was officially uh, uh, started. Remember, you know, that um, 4th of November 2020 was U.S. general election, so that, you know, every uh, eye of the world was to U.S. election. And if internally that November month is a peak harvest season uh, for, for the Tigrayans, and like, you know, 85% of the Tigray population are farmers, so it was like a kind of well-planned well, uh, uh, timeline. Yeah, and then... After after that, like everything became history, and then Ethiopia government got military support again from Somalia and other additional drones, you know, from the United Arab Emirates, Turkey, Iran, Russia, and so on. And then after the start of the war, like for for eight, seven months, Tigray was like, you know, in in in, in a hell. So when such um you know, horror and atrocities reigned in Tigray. Every Tigrayan just decided to, to grab arms because, you know, whether it is university president, whether it is university lecturers, students, doctors, nurses, you know, farmers with their children, as well as also men and women, because it was very sad, like, they saw kids were just slaughtered in front of um, in front of them. You know, women were raped in front of um, their, 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 their uh, themselves. So, uh, no option. Every Tigrayan grabbed arm. And, you know, with the support of the wisdom of the retired Tigrayan generals, most Tigray territory liberated after eight bloody months. And then on the, you know, 21st, 28th of June, Makala, uh, Tigray's capital, regained again by the, the Tigray forces, and most of the Tigray forces, uh, the Tigray places were uh, liberated. So, after 19 months of the war, Tigray became like front page of you know news of atrocities, even genocide. Just every horror was committed, and. Uh, at the end, like Tigray, how deaths of estimated half a million civilians, a gang rape of underestimated but about 120,000 uh, women and girls, and more than half of its population, almost which is equivalent to 3.5 million people, lost access to water. And almost 10% of the population, which is close to a million, were internally displaced. And if you see, you know, the private and public worlds, be it religious or cultural heritages, great majority of them were damaged and loot. And even just as we speak now, more than 90% of the population are food insecure. And completely the health system is, is collapsed, which in detail um, we will see it later. So 
just to summarize the actors and the cause. So the Ethiopian federal government opened a war to centralize power and subjugate the people of Tigray. And the immediate neighbor Amhara forces joined, you know, to expand their territory through ethnic cleansing, which was also confirmed by the United States. So, um, and the Eritrean government, uh, as I said, you know, to revenge and to do um, Tigray's political laundry. And the Tigray people, represented by the TDF, fight against all these odds, you know, to sustain their survival yeah. and identity. Yeah. So, there's a lot that you said now, and I think, you know, everything happening there is very dreadful. Um, and like you mentioned, a significant aspect of life for the Tigrayan people that has been affected by the war is, you know, the healthcare system. Um, and we're going to talk about the effects, specific effects that the war has had on that. But before we jump into that, I'd like to talk about what the Tigrayan healthcare system was like before the war. Um, and looking at my research, um, you know, I found out that like early in like the 1990s, there were about like four hospitals in Tigray, about 10 healthcare centers. Um, and then moving forward to like 2019, before the war, that was up to like 47 um, hospitals and like 224 health centers, which is a remarkable improvement over that period of time. And even just the metrics, healthcare outcomes in the region are very impressive too compared to the national average. Um, so I'd just like for you to discuss how the healthcare system in Tigray was structured before the war um, and why that made um, the Tigrayan you know, health outcomes a lot better than the national average. Yeah, you are right. You know, um, Tigray's healthcare system was a three-tier health system, primary, secondary, and tertiary healthcare system. The primary healthcare facilities are the health posts, the health centers, as well as also um, the the health the hospitals, and they are staffed with the community health extension workers, which are so well known for their remarkable achievement in terms of reducing maternal and child mortality, as well as also, you know, the nurses, doctors, and others. The secondary healthcare facilities were staffed with um, facilities are the general hospitals, and they are staffed with specialized doctors, you know, such as internists, gynecologists, surgeons, and so on. And the tertiary one is uh, uh, a specialized hospital with, uh, with subspecialty uh, doctors, you know, such as oncologists, uh, neurosurgeons, and so on. So as I said, it was vibrant, especially in the last 30 years, completely the health infrastructure and its respective main health indicators are dramatically changed. By the way, not only in Tigray, but also in Ethiopia. It was Dr. Tedros Adhanom, the current WHO Director General, who originally was head of the Tigray Regional Health Bureau, and then later became the Minister of Health. So most of the remarkable changes were under his, under his leadership. So as he said, uh, Tigray's health system was very vibrant health system, almost more than 25,000 of health workers, more than 1,000 
health facilities. There was a well-functioning referral system. It was community-owned. I was I remember 60% of the health centers were built by the contribution of the farmers. So you can see the farmers feel that they own the the, the health facility, which is a main reason for for the for the performance, particularly with the behavioral change. Um, and there was the community insurance. You know, farmers pay uh, fifty dollar per year. And then they get a free or concession service for the entire household. And this community insurance covered almost 60% of households in Tigray. Basically, the primary health coverage was about 95%. So you can see how it was so transformative. And you, you probably know the health extension program was an exemplary program even to Africa, you know, to Uganda and, and, and Rwanda. And that health extension program, which includes 17 packages, which basically is staffed by women, they go house to house and they try to uh, intervene those uh, basic preventive and uh, some of them uh, curative services. And they brought a remarkable maternal and child health outcomes. And surprisingly, the health workers to population ratio was almost to WHO standard in Tigray. Let me give you a simple example. One physician in Tigray was to, to 12,000, and that of the WHO was to 10,000, so it's more of the same. One nurse to Tigray was to 946 population, but that of uh, the WHO was 1,160, so it was even better, right? Now, what does this mean in terms of health outcome? What does you know the presence of these many health professionals in many health facilities? As you said, the maternal mortality was significantly improved. It was 186 out of 100,000 live births, which was a very, very low compared to the national average, 412. If you see child mortality in Tigray, out of 1,000 live births, 35 children were died, and this was compared to 67 of the national average. If you pick 100 mothers in Tigray, 94 of them attended antenatal care, and this was completely higher than Ethiopia's 74%. The same with the delivery service. 73 out of 100 mothers delivered in health facilities. And the basic vac vaccination coverage was also very high. You know, out of 100 kids in Tigray, 73 of them received the vaccination and this is completely higher higher than ethiopia's 39 percent right so i can go on and on including you know the management of the uh, uh, ncds chronically ill patients you know hiv diabetes mellitus hypertension and, and so on and so on um and even in terms of covid management uh, tigray has six laboratory sites five treatment centers a very strong surveillance and contact tracing, but unfortunately, all this are now history.
Thank you for listening this far. If you're enjoying this episode, there are a few ways you can help us out. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at wthw.pod. Um, you can find us on Instagram that way. You can find us on Twitter at wthw underscore pod. Um, and you can also follow us on LinkedIn. You know, you just search up the name, um, where the health are we? And you should be able to find the podcast that way. Um, if you have any feedback or any suggestions on how uh, we can improve the show, reach out to us at wthw.pod at gmo.com. So wthw.pod at gmo.com. Also, I recommend that you tell your friends and your family if you're enjoying it too. And you can also tell this to anyone else you think would be interested in this. Again, thank you for your support and I hope you enjoyed the rest of the episode. So I know that when people think about wars and they think about health, you know, they think about the direct effects that wars have on the health of people, you know, injuries, casualties from wars. Um, but it's actually on record that like most of the deaths that emerge from wars are more indirect. So it, it's as a result of like infrastructure um, or like healthcare systems being damaged. Um, and I know that's the case in um, Tigray as well. So like jumping now into the effects of the war on, on like healthcare in, on the healthcare system in Tigray, um, I'd like to break it up. Um, so first, I'd like you to just talk about what the effects of the war have been on healthcare infrastructure um, and the workforce as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. So... You know, I have been doing a number of interviews. I wrote a number of articles and blogs. And when I when I talk the impact of the war on the healthcare system, it always amazes me. It's it's always new to me that I couldn't believe that has really happened. You know, if we see the impact on the health infrastructure, particularly on the hospitals, health centers, and health posts, it is catastrophic. You know, as of May 2022, which actually Tigray Regional Health Bureau uh, did a quick report, out of the 40 hospitals in Tigray, 32 of them are completely damaged for are partially damaged and we don't know the status of four because they are still under the occupancy of Amhara and Eritrea. Out of you know more than 230 health centers, 169 of them are fully damaged and 39 partially damaged. And we don't know what happened to the remaining 22 health centers. Out of you know the 741 health posts, 578 of them are completely damaged and 
92 partially damaged. Again, the status of 97 is not is not um, known. 274 ambulances were either looted or burned or taken. So, you know, such indiscriminate and targeted attack led to that none of the health facilities give their service to their pre-war level. None. So none of them currently in Tigray are delivering to their pre-war level. So it is it is it's it's just a targeted it's you can't say this is a kind of collateral collateral damage. So you can easily say yes health facilities in Tigray were used as a tool of war. No. It's even worse when you see the impact on the health workforce, as you tried to mention. You know, health workforce are protected under the 1863 Red Cross Declaration, 1864 Humanitarian Law, and the 1949 Geneva Conventions. But those resolutions and declarations can't save, you know, health workforces in, in Tigray. Some of the health workforce in Tigray were killed. For instance, United Nations reported the death of 23 aid workers. MSF reported the death of three staff, including one Spanish. And Tigray Regional Health Bureau reported the death of 37 health workers and injuries of 78. Some of the Tigray health workers were displaced internally and some flee to other countries. UN reported a story of a Tigrayan surgeon who fled to Sudan. And internally, in, 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 in a merely IDP center, in a single IDP center in, 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 in Makala, Tigray's capital, 2,000 health workers were enrolled as IDPs. Imagine health workers themselves enrolled as IDPs. And, and 2,000 in a single IDP, and you can see how much in, in the many IDPs in Tigray. And health workers in Tigray lost their job. Probably you might read in the paper that we published, you know, in, um, in, in April 2021, half of the 20,000 plus health workers didn't report back to work. And then a year after, in three April, uh, in April 2022, only 1,300 health workers reported back to work, and this is because I think one none of the health workers get paid their salary since June 2021. So almost a year, not even a single health worker get paid their salaries. But it's not only that they can't even access their savings because. There is no banking service for almost the whole year. I know health workers who need help, but I can't send them any money because there is no banking service, there is no telecommunication, and, 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 and so on. So, you know, doctors at one point of time who were highly paid are now seen, you know, begging food. Some of them faint while they give services in, in, in hospitals. And you can see, you know, all these things uh affected their their psychology because you know they they some of the health workers lost their patients in um at their hand they know how to treat 
but because there is no medicine given to grays in 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 a, in a medical stage, some of them treat a very gruesome injuries. Some of them are stress of a dangerous travel, and they are also working, you know, uh, many hours. But it's not only that. Some of them are actually try to struggle to replace stock out. We saw. Um, you know, some of the health workers were asking patients for a white clothes for surgery to use as a goes. Health workers in a tertiary hospital, in either referral hospital, were seen washing a glove to reuse it. I mean, imagine a specialized hospital which gives a service to almost 5 million people. You see, health workers are washing gloves to you to reuse it. And you can see how the service is completely dwindled, you know? But it's it's not only that. Even some of the health workers who are working despite all these challenges, some of them were obstructed, you know, to treat patients. I remember in there was a, a drone attack in one of uh, a village market called Togoga, and the Ethiopian and the Eritrean forces you know, denied them, obstructed them with their ambulance not to save the victims of the drone attack. Some of the health workers were asked even, you know, to uh, clean their shoes using Tigray flag and that deliberately was to humiliate or to 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 attack their uh, their psychology. So it's it's just so so horrendous, you know, to talk the impact on the health facility as well as also on, on the health workers. But it's not only that, because the medical colleges are also stopped, almost closed for two years. New medical graduates are halted their dreams, you know, those who wanted to be a doctor cannot because the medical college stopped. So yeah. it's very easy to see, you know, given the brain drain that I have mentioned before, Tigray's future human health resource is, it is in danger. Yeah. And just listening to all this, this is very disheartening, you know, and I think what makes this even worse is that um, all these things impact the health outcomes of regular Tigrayan people um and you talk about this a lot in the paper so like at this point i just like you to to explain how the war the damage on like healthcare infrastructure the attrition of healthcare of the healthcare workforce um how that has impacted the health outcomes of the people in Tigray. well you know as I tried to show healthcare, availabil- uh, healthcare availability in Tigray is at you know at its lowest in the times of um, its greatest need, which is a very uh, a painful uh, paradox. And when you see the stories coming out of Tigray, they are you know truly nightmarish. But what's very um, heartening is it is impossible to know how bad the situation is because there is no telephone. There is no internet. Foreign journalists are not allowed to to go into Tigray, so it's it's very difficult to know how bad um, it is. But um, there are some reports coming out. Some of the NGOs 
and the report is from the Tigray regional government in some of um, the articles that we published. So when 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 you see the findings, again, it is so catastrophic. If if I try to see, for instance, from the chronic illness, you know, Tigray, um, there was uh, about 180,000 uh, chronically ill patients who needed uh, a routine or regular follow-up. But now there is no written follow-up for those chronically ill patients. I will give you HIV as a simple example. There were about um, 50,000 HIV patients in Tigray. Daily, they uh, used to take antiretroviral therapy. Now, I think probably you might know, currently the life expectancy of HIV patients who are on treatment are more or less the same with non-HIV patients. If they if they take the treatment based on the prescription of uh, the, the doctors. But the mortality rate of HIV without treatment is 90%. And that's even in a situation where there is adequate food, adequate water, adequate treatment for additional opportunistic infections. So if all these things are not available, such as the case of Tigray, obviously the mortality rate is even higher, which is close to 100%. And sadly, out of the 50,000 plus HIV patients in Tigray, 90% of them are lost follow-up. 90%, that's just almost all. And even those who show up, the 10%, we don't know how how their situation is. It could be on the advanced stage, which is obvious because there is no adequate antiretroviral therapy. So the outcome is just gruesome. But that's not only the problem, you know. It's not only the existing HIV patients are at risk, but even the new or incidence of HIV is also increasing because all the risk factors are there, right? There is a massive displacement. I tried to mention almost 2 million people are internally displaced because Tigray is currently under medical siege. There is no almost limited access to quantum. I'll try to come later. There was a huge gang rep, including a deliberate HIV infection. So you can see all these factors increase new HIV infection, right? Now, the incidence of HIV is increasing, and when they they already infected with HIV, in fact, they don't know whether they are HIV positive or not anyways, most of them, because HIV testing services is dwindled. And then even if they know that they are HIV positive, there is no treatment, so they are left to die, as I tried to publish you know, in, in, in the conversation. This works the same for the other chronic illnesses because almost all the risk factors, you know, lack of exercise, lack of food, and lack of, um, uh, you know, other risk factors for this chronic illness are there. So the incidence is increasing and they added to the pool of existing cases. There is no treatment and they they left to die. So it's it's just so heartbreaking when you when you see the individual stories of chronically ill patients
that's with regards to the chronic illnesses. You know, if you see, um, say, to the maternal and child illness, in the beginning, I tried to mention antenatal care proportion integral was 94. Now, this goes down to 16.16. And the skilled delivery integral goes down to 21%. And the full vaccination rate sadly goes down to 27%. So, I mean, it's very easy to guess, say, if children are not vaccinated, obviously there are short and long-term complications. At least they will be affected by the vaccine-preventable illnesses, but at most they will develop chronic complications, even to the extent of mental retardation. So it's not only you know the people affected at the moment but even the future generation is completely um at, completely at risk if we see in terms of malnutrition very sadly as reported in 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 in, a, in the lancet paper um a few days ago almost half a million children are malnourished half a million you know the rate of acute malnutrition is is just is seen nowhere. It's seventy eight percent. You know, if you if you pick ten Tigrayan children, eight of them are malnourished. And I think it's easy to guess what does a malnourished children mean. Obviously, there will be immediate days, but the chronic complication of malnutrition, particularly stunting, is is just gruesome. So. There is high rate of acute malnutrition, and the same with the global acute malnutrition, which is up to 29%, and this is beyond the threshold of um, uh, WHO. But, you know, of all these outcomes, the most heinous I got is a gang rape. Um, you know, Obviously, it's very hard to know how many women and girls were raped in, in the conflict zones. We might hear, if you see the, uh, the number of women and girls raped in the Rwandan genocide, you know, the intervals are between 250,000 and 500,000, right? So it's, it's very difficult to know the exact. And the same is true integrity, given the culture the nature of the conflict and the uh, the the, uh, the 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 situ the, the complex situation in Tigray, it's very hard to know how many women and girls were raped. But we have heard a report of 120,000 women and girls were gang raped. But what we know is the characteristics. Obviously, the number is a tip of the iceberg. It's under reported um, but the characteristics is just insane you know when I see the stories it's 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 always heartbreaking you know it characterized by intention to humiliate UNA just released a report and they 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 um, revealed that 76 percent of the raped women 
were by multiple perpetrators, up to 12. You know, a single woman raped by up to 12. And even the age is so hard. It's as young as like five, eight or five, and as old as like 80s. I mean, I could go on and on and on. So the, the stories, the characteristics of the gangrep women then by the Ethiopian and Eritrean soldiers is just so heartbreaking. You know, I think listening to all of this, you know, I think of what the um, WHO chief mentioned in like the press conference where he said, you know, there's nowhere in the world, you know, where we are witnessing hell, like in Tigray. Uh, just listening to everything that you're saying now, you know, this really is a nightmare. So now I want to talk about, you know, what the response has been you know, to the crisis that's going on right now. Um, so how have the international community um, and the African Union especially responded to the crisis? I think what I can assure you is the response is, you know, nowhere to the needed demand. WHO and UNICEF are delivering some trickling supplies such as vaccine and few uh, basic life saving medicines. Even probably might know there was a, a truce declared on the on March of 2022, but despite the declaration of that humanitarian truce, only 10% of the expected basic aids are entered to Tigray. Even that 10%, because of lack of fuel, they are not distributed to, to the needy ones properly. That's even the basic aids. If we see the pharmaceutical supplies, only 6% of the expected are entered to Tigray. So the response is just so, so slow. There were attempts of a mobile health and nutrition teams and some on-job on trainings in uh, 57 health facilities in collaboration with, um, you know, the Great Regional Health Bureau and the WHO and UNICEF. But it's, 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 it's just not the adequate. But in regards to the African Union's response, I am I'm, I'm very sorry to say this, you know, African Union's response to Tigray war crisis is the most shameful in history. At one point of time, I remember the head of the African Union, they even supported uh, Ethiopia's government, the so-called law and enforcement order. You know, he said, yes, Ethiopian government is doing law and enforcement order. I mean, a law and enforcement order that kills the lives of more than half a million people, a law and enforcement order that rapes more than 120,000 women, 
a law and enforcement order that put more than 90% of the population food insecure and deny access to more than half of its population. It's, it's just so shame. So a youth response is shameful in history, but I think I must acknowledge Paul Kagame, Rwanda's president, who knows what does genocide mean. And he was the only one, I think, as far as, my, I, as, far as I know, tried to consistently condemn what the Ethiopian government and the Eritrean government is doing on crime. And he tried to urge African Union to act. But yeah, his response was was shameful. Yeah, and I think and I think this whole thing just makes me for the AU especially, it makes me wonder, you know, what the point of the the union is, you know, to begin with. Um and even just the international community, the UN, you know, you you wrote about this in in one of the um in one of the articles that you wrote about, you know, what the response to the invasion of Ukraine has been versus the response to what has happened in Ethiopia for over a year now at this point, you know, and I think it's just very, it's just very heartbreaking and, you know, discouraging, especially when we think about, you know, this, I think a crusade that, you know, an international crusade for like peace and uh, unity. And it makes, it makes us question if that crusade for, for peace and unity is selective. You know, it's only for it's only reserved for a certain kind of people who look a certain kind of way. Um and you know, to round us off here, you know, I just want to think big picture where we go from here. You know, um I know that, you know, from what you said, it seems that significant damage has been done to, you know, the healthcare system and that will take rebuilding. But I think even more so significant damage has been done to the people you know and this is going to transcend generations and it's going to last decades if not like centuries even you know it's going to take a long time for people to recover from this uh but thinking about what can happen now where do we go from here um how can the tigran people get to a place where they can have their healthcare needs met you know, to at least a certain extent and not have to suffer in the way they have so far? Well, I think I have to note this first. You know, unless concerted international actions, you know, condemnations and economic sanctions to Ethiopia's and Eritrean governments are not enough because... You know, they got military support from the United Arab Emirates, Turkey, Russia, and others. And sadly, they also got a diplomatic protection from Russia's and China's veto power. I remember, you know, the famous Tigrayan um, African general, General Zadgan Gavratinsa A, once said, in the end, Tigray got words and Abiy got weapons. And that's what's happening. In fact, diplomatic protection as well. So there has to be a separate way. I don't know. Maybe we might need to see a history 
I remember UN military intervened in Li in Libya. The United uh, States and NATO also intervened against the Bosnian-Serbian forces without even the approval of the United Nations Security Council. So I don't know. Those options should should be should be taken in order to halt the conflict. Otherwise, almost two years and every year the gruesome atrocities are, are recorded. So I think the international community has to understand this and there has to be a solution. But if I call up to the international community, particularly to the medical associations and health workers around the globe, I think they should show solidarity and advocate to their fellow health workers in Tigray and in other conflict areas who actively are you know, facing um, targeted attacks. You know, as as he said, Tigray is back to to a stand edge in all aspects. Ahead, you know, Tigray will deal with orphan children. Tigray will deal with children with anomalies and disabilities. Tigray will deal with children of born of unwanted pregnancies who even from from enemies, you know, as a result of the rape. Tigray will deal with mentally and physically tortured women and girls. Tigray will deal with disabled veterans, emerging new outbreaks, new chronic illnesses resulted from the chemical attacks, you know, and, and, and even the drone shelling. And obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and exactly the psychologically um and and the the mental dwindling you know the loss the the loss of uh, productive of manpower the brain drain the damage of infrastructure not only the health but you know the road the water you know the electricity the water points i could go on and on and on you know when I think what has happened in Tigray, when I learned what has happened in Tigray, and when I analyze what will happen for the future, there were uh, moments that I actually cried inside my car. It's just so heartbreaking to imagine what has happened and even to to predict what will happen during the transition period. That's why I think we need a comprehensive support. Tigray needs support from the international community. But what I also want to note is there has to be accountability. There has to be accountability to those who did a deliberate destruction of the health facilities and deliberate attack of the health workers. There has to be accountability for those who did the rape. I know, you know, the, the, the track record of accountability of war crimes is very depressing. You know, uh, Professor Leonard uh, Rubinstein in his new perilous medicine stated that we are in the era of impunity and war crimes are new normal and unpunished. So I know that's the track record, you know, there was um there was not any propositions to 
almost 25 crimes in 10 countries which was submitted by the Human Rights Watch. You know, even though they were confirmed that they were war crimes, no proxies at all. So, yes, the track record is depressing, but I think this has to be changed and everybody has to fight for accountability of the perpetrators. But my, I think, last message is, and including, you know, call to this podcast, where the healthcare are we podcast is that war should be echoed as a number one public health problem. It has to be a public health priority. You know, over the last 30 years, an estimated 30 million people died in armed conflicts. I have already tried to show Tigray lost half a million civilians and still counting. We might know, you know, in the Liberia's two catastrophic civil wars, it took the lives of 300,000. And, you know, 95% of the health facilities were fully or partially non-functional. In, in, in Zimbabwe's 1971 independence, where, you know, the South Africa supported Zimbabwe military, they destroyed 200 health posts. They even murdered dozens of health workers. You know, the same was recorded in South Sudan in the 2014 genocidal war. So I can go on and on, you know, from Democratic Republic Congo to Somalia, from Syria to Afghanistan, from Yemen to Myanmar. So given it's also preventable, I think there is no reason that, you know, war is, is not a number one, um, war should be uh, a number one public health priority. So. We have to work hard, we have to equal that war is a number one priority. And we have to also respect the resolutions and declarations. What's very sad is there are a, a very uh, groomed declarations and resolutions beginning from you know the 1863 Red Cross, the humanitarian law, the Geneva Conventions. So countries sign up, but when it comes into implementations, none are into practice. So they have to be in practice. And I think the entire world should work hard to their implementation rather than putting them into a paper. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, um, Hyler, for sharing all that you have today. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like I know this must be very um, personal for you, um, considering the fact that you're from Tigray, you know, and I hope, you know, you are, um, you are like taking care of yourself because I know this must be very difficult to, to digest. Um, but before we go, like, do you have anything else you would, you would like to share? Anything else you think is, is pertinent? Well, I, I think I have to say you thank you because despite, you know, the mass, despite its impact, this area is completely ignored. You know, the issue of Tigray war and its impact is completely ignored. And now almost the world is only concerned with, with the case of Ukraine. So you brought this into attention and you, um, you're doing a program on this. So I must say 
thank you for you but i think i i, I don't have um you, you know additional message except the fact that um we have to we have to really really understand the impact of the war today we only discuss the case of tigray i mean if you go to the other parts of africa the impact of the conflict on not only on the health system but also on the you know all the systems of each country is 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 just gruesome so i think we africans should work hard to solve our problem you know yes there is a say that african problems should be solved by africans but i think we have to make that real and that must be my last message thank you thank you so much hala thank you very much thank you again Thank you again for tuning into another episode of Where the Health Are We? Um, to keep up with the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at wthw.pod um, and on Twitter at wthw underscore pod. Um, if you have any feedback about this episode or future episodes or past episodes, um, you can send them over to either of those accounts, either the Instagram account or the Twitter accounts. Or you can send us an email at wthw.pod at gmail.com. Um, to support the podcast, please feel free to share it with you know, your friends and your family or anybody else you think would be interested in this kind of content. Um, this episode was produced by me, Chinamarami Hijirika. Um, the main theme sound for the episode was produced by Mutio Gunchino. And the artwork for this episode was created by Onil Ifedua. As always, I am your host, Chinamarami Hijirika. And the next episode of Where the Health Are We will be out two weeks from now. But till then, take care.